Today we begin our six-week sermon series, St. Luke's on Broadway. This is our second year to do this. We started last year when we were celebrating our 125th anniversary of our beginning, remembering we started on the first Sunday after the land run, 1889. And so it was, we thought about how we started there at 3rd and Broadway. And there on Broadway, we proclaimed the gospel and the values of Christ and how we have continued to proclaim those down through the last 126 years now. It was also knowing that here at St. Luke's, we love the arts. We have arts at St. Luke's. We have our theater, Petite Theater. We love our music. We believe in music and the arts as one of the ways by which you come to experience the presence of Christ in your life. And so we decided why not start looking at some of the wonderful musicals and shows on Broadway that really help us to confront the experience of Christ and the values that we proclaim. I was reading a story recently about a, a young lady. When she was about to be born, her mother was living out in the country and was trying to get to the hospital. It turned out they had to ride on a train, and while riding on the train, it came time for her to be born. That meant that the conductor became the doctor. It was the conductor who delivered the baby. It was a beautiful little girl. She was fine. Mother was fine. In the end, she was very fortunate to have a wonderful mom and dad. But when she was only three years old, her mother became ill and died. When she was seven, her father passed away. And suddenly her world turned upside down. She was sent to go live with an uncle and an aunt. They did not have any children. They were very stern. They were socialist. They were atheist. Her uncle told her all the stories in the Bible. They're legends and lies. Do not believe anything in the Bible. Obviously, they did not go to church. Without other children to play with and being in a stern environment, it was really a very difficult childhood. When she finally became a teenager and gotten up old enough and her schooling had been progressing, she ran away from home and there she went to the state teacher's college because her dream was to become a teacher. And it was one day while she was there that she heard music and it was Bach. And she wanted to go and to hear this concert for Bach. It came from the chapel there on the college campus. And she went into this chapel and it just so happened it was actually Palm Sunday. And so there was kind of a mini concert of Bach. But then the priest, a young priest, stood up and began to tell the story of Jesus. And as she heard this story of Jesus, it literally washed over her heart. It spoke to something in her soul. It resonated. It sounded so right. That day, her life turned forever. She had been there wanting to be a teacher, but soon she changed her mind. And two years after being in college to be a teacher, she decided she wanted to be a nun. And so she went to the abbey to enroll to work on becoming a nun. Her name was Maria Augusta Cachera. We would come to know her as Maria Von Trapp. It is the beginning where we would pick up the story of the sound of music. But Maria came to know the Lord through music and a message to experience something that resonated with her soul. Each week, we're going to be looking at different musicals and plays to see if through the arts, 
we too can come to experience the presence of Christ in our lives. This morning, I want us to start the series with the sound of music. It is a fascinating story that really comes from the book that Maria von Trapp would write, entitled, The Story of the Von Trapp Family Singers. It was, it was Howard Lindsay and Russell Krauss who had read the book in the early 50s and decided this would make a great play. This is something we could take to Broadway. So they started working on the play, and then they thought, you know, there really is a lot about music here. It is the Von Trapp family singers. We probably ought to include a song or two that they sang. And so they started thinking about including that, and they worked on the play some more, and then they thought, well, maybe we ought to add an original number or two. And so they turned to Richard Rodgers and Oscar Hammerstein. This dynamic duo of Rodgers and Hammerstein was amazing. For more than a decade, they had been turning out musicals that were incredible. In fact, their very first musical they combined on, do you know what it was, Rodgers and Hammerstein's first musical? Oklahoma. It was Oklahoma. We're actually going to look at that on our last Sunday here in this series. But that musical changed musical theater. Instead of having a storyline and then throw in a, a piece of music for entertainment, they would use the music to actually tell the story. It became a part of the story. It literally changed the way musicals were done on Broadway when Oklahoma made such a big splash. That was their very first one to write. They wrote success after success, and the last musical that Rodgers and Hammerstein would write together would be The Sound of Music. They'd worked on it and finally was ready to go. And as so often happens, people will take their musicals to another venue off-Broadway and let it run for several weeks, and there they'll listen to the critics. There they get to see how does it play, and then they can make adjustments. They took the sound of music to Boston. There they let it run for a number of weeks and they made tweaks. But it was 11 days before they were to go to Broadway that they decided, you know, something is still missing. We need another song. 11 days before they were supposed to go, Rodgers and Hammerstein went back to the uh, um, Ritz-Carlton where they were staying. They went to the piano there and they said, we need to write an old um, a genuine old Austrian folk song. Now, how do you write a genuine old Austrian folk song right now? You know, but, but that, that was the plan. And so they sat and started working on this. And on that day, they decided, let's use, let's use a beautiful white flower, the Edelweiss, a flower that grows high up in the Alps. And in those days, the expectation was that young men would climb the Alps up high where the Edelweiss would grow and it would grow out of rocks and on cliffs and they would gather the Edelweiss into a bouquet and come back and give it to their sweetheart. And when they gave that to you, it said they had courage. They were dreaming dreams about the future and they had love forever. They wanted to write a song. In a day, they wrote Edelweiss. They wrote it because of, really, Theodore Bickel. Theodore Bickel was playing the part of George von Trapp there in the, the original production on Broadway. 
You remember it was Mary Martin who would play the part of Maria. But Theodore Bickle played the part of the captain. And he knew how to play the guitar and sing. And so they wrote this, and he was from Austria, so they wrote this wonderful folk song for him to sing that kind of captured the spirit of the show. The sound of music was supposed to be about courage, to dream, to open your heart to love forever. Well, he did it incredibly well. And one night after he had been through performing, he was um, stepping outside the stage door to, to greet the people who had come. There were some native Austrians who came up to see him after it was over and said, It was so wonderful to hear the song of our childhood again. (laughs) Right, okay. (laughs) No, the song really was an amazing hit, as it really did capture that spirit. Have the courage to dream, to open your heart to love forever. The interesting thing is, it would be the last song that Rodgers and Hammerstein would ever write. You see, Oscar had stomach cancer at that time. And he would die nine months after The Sound of Music opened on Broadway. It's why it was the last musical they would ever write together. His last song to write, Edelweiss. His last word, forever. I believe that one of the reasons we love this musical so much is because it reminds us that life isn't always easy that we face struggles and obstacles, and yet somewhere we find the courage to still dream dreams, to still open our hearts to love forever. It's why this morning I have chosen as our scripture lesson Psalm 121. Now you know that in the book of Psalms there are 150 psalms. That's how many is in our Bible, 150 psalms. The most favorite psalm, most scholars say, is Psalm 23. The Lord is our shepherd. All right. The second most popular psalm is probably Psalm 121. I really encourage you to go home and memorize it. It's only eight verses. And it's a wonderful psalm. It's been called a traveler's psalm for those who are traveling, who discover that as they travel, there are obstacles and challenges to overcome. You find where your strength comes from. But it's also been said it's a psalm for all of us because we're all travelers on the road of life. And on the road of life, we will all have our obstacles to deal with. And this is the psalm that tells us how we continue to have the courage to dream, to love forever. That's what I want us to look at this morning. Psalm 121 and the sound of music And there's two things that I simply want to say. One, I believe the psalmist was wanting to say to us, Remember, remember the Lord who created heaven and earth. That's what gives you hope. That's what gives you hope. It is easy to forget. And if you forget, when you face your mountains, it is easy to be discouraged and even give in to despair. The psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence does my help come? Now, you know, so often when you and I read this, it gets read at funerals a whole lot. And we sometimes read it as if this is a statement. 
I lift up my eyes to the hills from whence my help comes. A statement, our help comes from the hills. No, 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 no. When the psalmist writes this, the hills are an obstacle that you can't see over, that you can't go around. You've got to somehow go over it. The hill is the obstacle, the problem. If you're traveling and you see that big mountain out there in front of you, you start to wonder, how am I going to get over it? That's what the hill is supposed to be. It's asked as a question. Go back and read it. I lift up my eyes to the hills. I'm traveling. From whence does my help come? And then the psalmist answers it in the very next line. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You see, the psalmist wants to make sure we understand the Lord who made heaven and earth. What I would encourage you to do, I know that so many of us are traveling and going. Many are on vacation. Many of you will be heading off probably to Colorado or New Mexico, somewhere to go to the mountains where it's nice and cool in this time of year. Wherever you go, if you go to the mountains, make sure you stop with intentionality. Stop. Look at beauty. Think of the Lord who created heaven and earth. Maybe you're going to the ocean. If you go to the ocean or you go to the lake, stop with intentionality. Look at the beauty of creation. You can go for a walk right here in your own neighborhoods. You can come up here and sit in the gardens here at St. Luke's in the shade. Make sure you stop with intentionality to see the beauty of creation and think about the Lord who created heaven and earth and then think about the obstacles in front of you. For when you think of both, it is where you begin to find your hope. The psalmist wants to make it very clear. When you travel, you're going to see those hills. They're going to come. When you and I think about the sound of music, we know that it began as a play in 1959. That's when it opened in Broadway. But it was in 1965, they turned it into a movie. And it was incredibly successful, both on Broadway and as a movie. It was Mary Martin who played the part of Maria on Broadway. But when you and I think about Maria, most of us probably think about Julie Andrews. Because she played the part in the movie. And that's what so many millions of people saw was the movie with Julie Andrews. She is Maria. It's an amazing life that Julie Andrews has had. You know, she was born in 1935 in London, England. And growing up, her life was very difficult, very dark, just like Maria's. You see, growing up, her mother and father divorced when she was a young girl. Her mother remarried a man who was involved in theater. He was an alcoholic. It was very difficult living with him. It was also during World War II, and she remembers living through the Nazis bombing London, running to those bomb shelters, living through the war, living with an alcoholic stepfather. They were always at the theater. It was not easy. She said it was a dark childhood. But by the time she was 10, 11 years old, what they started seeing was she would sing with the family, and she was amazing. So amazing, they started listening to her more and more, and Julie started drawing the crowds to the night show acts. 
She had a voice that was a four-octave range, and they said it was perfect pitch. She was so unusual, and the voice was so amazing, they took her to the doctor to have it examined. And what they simply saw was she had the voice of an adult that was phenomenal, and she started singing in 11, 12, 13, 14, and all these nightclub acts, and then in the stage, and she began making so much money, she lifted the family out of poverty. She did so well that finally, when she was 19 years old, she got the part in a Broadway play, The Boyfriend. She came to New York at 19, and she did so well she was discovered and got to play the part of Eliza in My Fair Lady. We looked at that last year. What a hit that was. What a big moment for Julie Andrews. And she was hoping to get to play the part of, of Eliza in the movie when they made My Fair Lady. But we learned last year she didn't get that part. No, they chose Audrey Hepburn because she was a well-known movie star. They went with her rather than Julie Andrews. And so it was Walt Disney who came to Julie Andrews at the same time and said, we want you to play Mary Poppins in a movie. And Julie Andrews said, but I'm pregnant. And Walt Disney said, I'll wait. And so Julie went back to London, England, and she had the baby and then came back and began to film Mary Poppins. She, again, was a complete, basically unknown out in the world unless you had been to Broadway to see her and My Fair Lady. Well, she was more of an unknown quantity. She got through filming Mary Poppins, and she was asked to film The Sound of Music as Maria. Again, this is before Mary Poppins came out. And so it was, she went to Austria, and here she meets these seven children who are going to be the Von Trapp children, and she really falls in love with them. And she kind of took it on as her job to keep them entertained and make it fun, and she taught them how to sing supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. This is before Mary Poppins came out, so the kids really believed she had written that song for them. And not only did she teach them how to sing supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, she taught them how to sing it backwards. Would you like to hear it? <laughs> not a prayer. <laughs> I was working on it. I couldn't quite get it there. But I saw a, a video interview with Julie Andrews and these kids and on their 40th anniversary of The Sound of Music. And they were talking about she taught them how to sing that song and backwards. And when they said it without waiting, the kids broke into song and sang it backwards. They're adults now, married. They sang it backwards, all, all of them, 40 years later. They fell in love with Julie and she loved them. And what a success that it was. She would springboard on from that. It came out in 1965. For the next 32 years, Julie Andrews would go from one project to another. But in 1997, she was performing Victor Victoria, and it was a struggle. Her voice was just not performing, not like she wanted it to. She went to a doctor, and they examined her, and they said, you've got nodules on your vocal cords. It could be cancer. It could be benign. We need to take them off. So she had throat surgery, and they said, your voice should be fine within six weeks. Two years later, she could barely talk. She had a rasp. It turned out she didn't have cancer. She didn't have nodules on her vocal cords. She had some knots on her vocal cords from singing too much and straining, and all she needed was rest. 
and they would have been fine. She lost her ability to sing forever. It took four more surgeries just to get the raspiness out of her voice so she could talk fairly normal again. Can you imagine how depressed she became? Have you ever experienced what it means to lose the thing that you think defines you, that helps you to be who you are? That can be so hard. After a while, she started writing children's books with her daughter. Did you know she was a children's book author? Very successful. They asked her, why did you start writing children's books? And she said, I needed to find my voice. To have something to say. To be able to bless life. As her voice came back in 2001, she was in the show Princess Diaries and then Princess Diaries 2. It's hard to believe Julie Andrews this October will turn 80 years old. And when you see her interviewed, you see a lady who loves life, still loves people, wants to give. She is not bitter. She had to discover that life sometimes loses a dream and you've got to find a new way with your voice. We will all run into the hills, to mountains. And if you forget the God who made heaven and earth, it is easy to become discouraged and depressed and give in to despair. The psalmist reminds us, I lift my eyes to the hills. From whence does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's why you have hope. Secondly, if you and I have hope, the psalmist would want to remind us It really is the Lord who will continue to give you a new dream. Because you see, life changes, but the Lord still leads. I love the way it ends. The psalmist comes to the end and says, The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. You see, it's like the psalmist is saying, Life has a rhythm. There's the going out and there's the coming in. There is the beginning And there is the ending. Life is always going to be changing. There are always those hills out there you have to climb. The question is, if you have hope, then you can let God give you new dreams. Dream after dream after dream. It will look different. The dreams you have at 20 will be different from the dreams at 40, different at the dreams at 60, different at the dreams at 80. They should be. And none are better than another. They should be different because we are in a different place in life. And only people of faith who trust in God's strength are able to continue to have a new dream, to keep climbing the mountain, opening their hearts to love forever. I think that's why we like this song, this musical so much with the sound of music. Because what we see is a woman who is willing to open her life to look for God's will and to be confronted with mountain after mountain and kept having a new dream. Never willing to stop, not afraid to try. Several years ago, Marsh and I were up in the Vale Valley. We were in Beaver Creek. 
We saw an advertisement that said, The Von Trapp Grandchildren in Concert at the Valar Center. The grandchildren. I mean, we immediately went out and bought tickets. And we went and saw the Von Trapp grandchildren. The children of the kids you'd see. The grandchildren of Maria and George. I mean, let me tell you, music is in the genes. Those kids were good. They could sing. And they told us so many stories about their parents and about their grandparents. And things that you didn't know. For instance, one of the things they started talking about, they said, when you see the, the play or the movie of Sound of Music, what you see is basically true. But it took place over more than a decade. In the movie, they made it all happen in a few months to keep the story interesting and keep it moving. But it really took place over a long period of time. I mean, in 1926, Maria was there at the convent, the abbey, and she went out to be a governess for one child who had, had scarlet fever. Liesel. And then she became governess for all seven. She took care of them for almost a year. And now she was ready to go back to the abbey, and it was the children who went to their father, the captain, and said, don't let her go. And the captain said, what can I do? And they said, marry her. (laughs) And the captain said, but I don't know if she even likes me. And so the children went back to Maria and said, Do you like our father? And she said, Well, yes, yes, I do. They went back to their father. Yes, she likes you. And so he went to Maria and said, Will you marry me and be the mother of my children? And Maria would write, I'm glad he asked the question the way he did. Because I'd fallen in love with the children. And she said, I liked him, but I loved the children. But after she married him, she said, I would come to love him more than anyone in the world. Talk about a a change to follow your heart. The courage to follow a new dream. To be a mother of seven? A wife? Well, she did. That was in 1927. They got married. They didn't leave Austria until 1938. 1927, they got married. In the ensuing years, they had two more children. There were now nine Von Trapp children. And then the economic collapse came in 1929. Here in the United States, the crash, it was worldwide. Economic struggles in Austria. George Von Trapp was a very good man. He had a big estate in a bank in London, but he A friend in Austria had a bank and it was struggling and he loved Austria and he knew Austria was struggling and his friend's bank was struggling and he said, will you put your money here in order to help shore it up? And he did and it went bankrupt and he lost the family fortune. With the financial struggles, Maria took charge and said, we have to let the staff go. We will have to do the cleaning and the cooking and the caring for the place. They moved upstairs and they began to rent out the downstairs. They rented out the downstairs to students at the Catholic school. And because they were doing this, the Catholic school sent out a a priest, Father Franz Wasser. And Father Franz came to be there as a chaplain, a a, a chaperone for these kids who are going to be living in the home. And he is the one who heard the Von Trapp family singers, these kids singing. And he said, you guys are good. He started to teach them more difficult music and more music. It was not Herr Detweiler, that's a fictional character in the movie. No, it was Father Franz, a Catholic priest, 
who had actually managed them for 20 years. He said they were so good, he taught them how to sing. He said, go to the Salzburg Music Festival, 1935. And they did win. And they were heard by the Chancellor of Austria. And they went to Vienna. And they were singing. And then they were invited to sing at Hitler's birthday party. And they said no. They did not like what they were seeing. The values that were being lived out, the things that were happening, they said no. George would not fly the Nazi flag. He would not take a commission in the Navy. And so they decided, we've got to leave our home. We've got to leave everything we own. Talk about a mountain to climb. To start all over again with nine children. They did not hike up over the mountain, the Alps, to get to Switzerland. Actually, if you had hiked the Alps where they were, they would have landed in Germany. Instead, they went to the train station and rode to Italy. From Italy, they went to London, and it was in 1938, they borrowed money to make a passage to New York City. They landed in New York City in the USA in 1938 with $4 in their pocket. $4. Talk about a mountain to climb. Time for a new dream. To start all over again. To define who you are. To find hope. The courage to keep on dreaming. They found an agent who let them be booked, and they did incredibly well. In fact, Father Franz was still there with them, and he said, you know, we need to change your name. It used to be now, they were known as the Von Trapp Family Choir. He said, that's, that's too churchy. That's when they changed it to the Von Trapp Family Singers. And there was one more baby born in the USA. There were now ten. Ten children. They did so well, they started saving their money, singing concerts around the United States. They bought a 660-acre farm in Vermont, and it kind of became a music conservatory where people came to hear music and to learn. Their fame began to grow. They started traveling around the world. They would travel to 30 countries, putting on concerts and tours. Did incredibly well until 1947, and George developed lung cancer, and he died. And now Maria found herself here in the United States, ten children, alone. It was time for a new dream. She held the family together and said, here's how we're going to figure out to do this. And they continued to sing. The Von Trapp family singers continued to sing for ten more years till 1957. By now all the kids were grown, married, had other children. They finally had to say, we're done and so it was in 1957 that Maria said, I need a new dream. And she took three of her children and went to Papua New Guinea. And there, in the most poor of conditions, she would live for the next eight years as a missionary in Papua New Guinea. One of her daughters who had gone with her so fell in love with the people, she would stay for 30 years. But in 1965, Maria and two of the other children came back to the United States. 1965 when the movie came out. She went back to Vermont and the old homestead was basically turned into a, a ski resort. She would live there till 1987 when at 82 years old, Maria would die. 82 years old. She was the mother of 10, 
the grandmother of 29. But you look at her life and you have to see a life where she was someone who was willing to have the courage to dream, to face the most difficult of challenges, and to know where her strength came from. Not afraid to dream, not afraid to love, forever. I think it's what God asked out of us. What God asked out of us is to remember. To remember the Lord who made heaven and earth. We lift our eyes to the hills. From whence does our help come? It comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. The one who keeps you will not slumber. The one who keeps Israel will not slumber nor sleep. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in, those beginnings and those ends, from this day forward and forevermore. You and I are called to have the courage to dream and to climb our mountains. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.